All right, guys, tonight, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is where you can go ahead and turn to. So this morning, we dealt with the reality of Genesis chapter 3, right? We, we talked about, we worked through mankind's fall into sin. We talked about how sin has stained all of creation, how it's even marred us. And uh, what we can all recognize is that that's not good news. Now, we saw within the account of Genesis chapter 3, there is grace that's evident there. But, but overall, Genesis chapter 3, it's not a shining moment in human history, right? It's not, it's not like we go, if you're looking for a pick-me-up, you, you're not going to turn to Genesis chapter 3 and start reading, right? So I want to read a couple of other verses from the Old Testament to you just to talk about the reality of that sin that enters the world in Genesis chapter 3. And Psalm 51 verse 5, uh, King David says, Surely I have been a sinner since birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Later in the New Testament, Paul would contend in Romans three twenty three that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Paul again in Ephesians 2, 3 says that we, humanity, by our nature... Following Genesis chapter 3, by nature, we are children of wrath. So, if Genesis chapter 1 and 2 tells us that God has created things with order and purpose and intentionality and that they're good and very good, then when you get to Genesis chapter 3, things start to not just look sinful, they, they start to look sinfully bad. And I mean like real bad. If, if there's such a thing as the opposite of very good, whatever that is, that, that's how things are looking by the time you get to the end of Genesis chapter 3, right? So when we're looking at the Bible, when we're looking at the reality of sin, we didn't really talk a lot about this this morning, but, but we're going to get into it uh, even tonight in Romans chapter 8. But the reality of Scripture from Genesis chapter 4 all the way to the end, what we see is that it's not just that we have a sin nature, but that that sin nature actually is, is master over us. So again, if you remember Genesis chapter one and two in the mandate, right? Rule, subdue, those sorts of things. What you see after Genesis chapter three is that the man, even the mandate itself is, is twisted by the sin nature now within humanity. And instead of ruling and subduing in as God originally intended in Genesis chapter one and two. Now, what we have is the reality of sin that's kind of ruling over us. It's master over us. Now we're going to talk about another change that needs to be made, which is why we're in Romans chapter eight. But we have to recognize the depth of depravity and sinfulness that exists within humanity, especially in light of Genesis three. But in Genesis 3, sin was still very new. And now in 2023, sin has a much different look to it. I mean, there are immense amounts of ways that people have found to be evil and wicked in the world. Right? You think of Genesis 3, they, they ate of fruit. They, they disobeyed a commandment of God. Now we, we find ways, unique ways even, to uproot and undo the law of God in, in the most sinful way possible. The problem is we are never successful in that. It's like people walk around thinking that I can just do what I want. I'm free to do what I want, to, to live how I want. They have that mentality. They believe that. But the truth is, is that, that they're not free. Right? If sin is master over you, then, then you have no freedom. You, you may think that you do. You may think you're making the decisions in your life, but really, you're being led by your nature, especially apart from Christ. The mandate's messed up. You can't find peace. You can't find joy and hope. Right? You go, and this is, again, just being candid, young people even, in search of something they go to drugs and alcohol or sex or whatever, right? They're trying to find some sort of way 
to connect, to find purpose in this life. And apart from a radical transformation in light of Genesis chapter 3, then all you're going to do is sin. All you're going to do is live your, your best life that just happens to be the worst possible way to live. In this world, God has allowed, at least temporarily, the enemy, Satan, to have a certain rule and reign. And so, it's not just that sin's master over you. It's that the world, especially, it seems like our government right now, is, is operating under, not the authority. They don't, they don't care about the law of God. They don't care about Jesus. What they care about is sin. And so the government itself is, is not, not only mandating, but celebrating sinfulness, right? I think uh, Brad today talked about the reality of abortion and we talk, all the things we talked about, right? Even uh, LGBTQ stuff and gay marriage, all, all of those things that the government says, hey, this is okay. And what we've seen this weekend is, not, no, that's not okay. But there are, there are people who will meet tomorrow under the banner of a church and there will be someone standing in that pulpit who will say to the people in the audience that God loves you exactly the way that you are. You don't need to change anything about you. All, all God wants from you is for you to feel happy, to, to feel content, to, to feel like you're fulfilled. And the truth is what God wants above all else is for his name to be, be made great. And in order for that to happen... We can't just be who we are, right? Because of Genesis chapter three, we know that if we're just who we are, then we're so wrapped up in sin and lostness and wherever the culture goes, we get lost in all of that. And if, if we're lost, then, then our soul, that spiritual part of us, it, it tells us it testifies, at least at some level, that God is there. But at the same time, because of Genesis chapter 3, it's broken. Right? Our soul now is damaged goods. Mark 16 says it's condemned. 1 Corinthians 16, it's a curse. Galatians 3, it's cursed. Right? If you don't know what all those things mean, it's bad. We're, we're messed up, we're marred by, we're marked by, we're in love with our own sin. And I understand that that's real, that's bad news, right? That's bad news for the world. And, and for a lot of people, it, it, it doesn't feel right. But, but the truth is, it shouldn't. We, we shouldn't be okay with everything going on in the world. When you turn on the TV or when you go on social media or whatever and you see people celebrating sin and loving sin and just you do you mentality, it should break your heart. We don't like and love their posts on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, Instagram. Everything that the Bible tells us about Genesis chapter 3 and moving forward is that with the introduction of sin into creation is the introduction of something called condemnation. We stand before a just and holy God guilty, spiritually lost, but more than that, spiritually dead. Remember Genesis 3, dying you will die. And not only are we spiritually dead, but the only thing that we're capable of loving fully and completely apart from Jesus is our own sinfulness. The only thing we know how to do is sin. Now, what does that mean? That means it doesn't matter how rich you are, how many good things that you do with the wealth that you have, if your heart is wrong, it doesn't earn you any favor points with God. God isn't concerned with how much good you can do because apart from him, you can't do any. We need something to change. 
I told you from Genesis 1 and 2 to Genesis 3, something changed. I told you this morning, we need something else to change. And it does. But it only changes through something called redemptive history. What do I mean? I mean what leads us to the Lord Jesus, to his incarnation, to when he came to this earth, when he died on the cross for us, when he was resurrected and ascended. That's what makes the change. And listen, it's not easy. It's not easy. Because in order to get to that point, you have to face the reality of Genesis chapter 3 in your own life. You have to face the reality that you are a sinner. Now, you may not have killed anybody. You may not have done anything like that. But all of us, as we, as we are trying to think of the politically correct way to say this, but when you're, when you're in your mother's womb, David says, even then, you're, you're already guilty. You're born into this world condemned because you have a sin nature. So something has to change. Something has to invoke within us an understanding that we, as male and female, created in God's image, living in a world post-Genesis chapter 3, that we are broken. But it's not just that we're broken, but we ourselves practice lawlessness. We're, we're evil people. It's, it's who we are. And we need radical transformation. And that's what I believe the gospel brings to the table. Radical change. Where we recognize in a moment that that. I, I don't want Genesis chapter 1 and 2. I, I don't want that where, where there's, a, there's a chance that I'm going to do something and separate me from God. I want post-Genesis chapter 3's promise of change. I want a change where Christ died in my place. He paid my sin debt and I put my faith in him and then I live for his glory and honor. Never have to worry about man, am I going to do something and, and God is going to write me off, right? God's going to kick me out of the garden, right? After Genesis chapter 3, God does something miraculous through the gospel. He pays our debt. He transforms us and gives us freedom. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The change that we need following Genesis chapter 3 is a transition from sinful lostness, from chaos and confusion to justification. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Salvation by faith into living gospel transform. And it begins with this reality there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you have a relationship with Jesus, a genuine saving relationship with Jesus, there's no condemnation. What does that mean? That means when you have saving faith in Jesus, there's been a declaration made over your life, a godly, heavenly declaration made over your life of complete transformation. The Bible tells us that we are made new. God, God isn't in the remodeling business, right? When you, when you have genuine saving faith in him, he makes you completely new. 
and there's no more condemnation. God isn't looking at you in Christ as an angry father, looking for a reason to slap you on the wrist, looking for a reason to kick you out of the garden. That's not God. He looks at us in Christ and he says, the penalty that you owe for your sin has been paid. It's been paid. But what's the penalty of our sin? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. There's something that we owe as sinners in this world to a holy and just God. And it's something that we can't pay. We can't pay with good works. We can't pay with love. We can't pay with respect. It's something that only God himself could pay. There's a punishment that is owed to us because of the depth of our sinfulness. And God says in Christ, I've not only paid that debt, but there's no condemnation. That means right now, if you are in Christ Jesus in this room, then God isn't holding things against you. Instead, when he looks at you, he's looking as if he's looking in straight at his son, Jesus. And like I said a second ago, God isn't, he's not waiting on you to mess up. He's not waiting on you to do the next stupid thing in your life. I promise you, you're young, you're going to do a whole lot of them. But God is there. He says, if you put your faith, rest in the completed work of Jesus, and you go and live in light of that faith, then, then you're fulfilling the mandate of God. Right? If you're loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, right? that fulfills the whole law. And if you're living like that, then you know what you're going to do? You're going to love your wife the right way, your husband the right way, your family the right way. But you're also going to interact with the world in the right way. You're going to be different. You're going to live different. You're going to look different, not physically, but spiritually, you'll look different. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The gospel is enough. What Christ has done for us is enough. I wish that I wish that there was a, a better way for me to say it, but, but Jesus did not just overturn the curse of Genesis chapter three. He did so much more than that. That you remember when they were naked and they realized and there was guilt and shame and all those feelings that they had so much so that they felt like they needed to hide their self from God? In the gospel, when the gospel is applied in your life by faith, then, then all of that shame and that guilt is relieved from you. That means in the gospel that you're set free. That you don't have to walk around worrying about whether you're good enough, whether you've said the right thing or done the right thing. Instead, you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You love your neighbor as yourself, and you rest in the completed work of Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that you just go around and do what you want, right? We, Paul says, look, it's not that we go on sinning so that grace may abound, right? We're, we're not going to try to out the grace of God. You, you can't do it. But also, if you're transformed, you're not going to want to do it. Gospel transformed people, I tell the church this all the time, gospel transformed people live gospel transformed. That, that is the natural way this happens. So if you're out there and you have no desire to live in light of gospel transformation, there's a high probability that you've never experienced that transformation, right? You're still in love with your sin. 
But what we see in the reality of Scripture, right here in Romans chapter 8, is that if you have a genuine saving relationship with Jesus, then you're delivered from condemnation and everything that comes along with that. You are cleansed from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. You're imputed with Christ's own righteousness. Ephesians 1 tells us we're co-heirs with Christ, possessing a heavenly inheritance by faith. So when you're saved, when you have that radical gospel transformation, you never go back to the way you were before. That's not how it works. In Christ, what Paul says in verse 1, literally, you are outside the reach of condemnation. No one's going to hold the death penalty of sin over your head anymore. It's not going to be levied against you. But that doesn't mean also that somehow when you get saved, sin is just out of the picture completely. You're not going to reach some point in this life where you are sinlessly perfect. It's not going to happen because our battle against sin It rages on until the moment that we cross over the threshold of this life when we die. That's when the battle with sin ends. But even in the midst of that battle, in light of all of our struggles, our successes, and our failures, God says to us, there's no condemnation. Now, God may discipline you. That's different. God's going to hold you accountable. You're going to reap what you sow. That's true. But your deliverance and your freedom from condemnation is not going to be undone. Never. Why? Because it's solidified in Jesus, not in us. The salvation that I have, it doesn't rest on me. I didn't do anything. God drew me to faith. I respond to that faith. God saved me. God called me. God equipped me. I didn't do anything. I've been made alive by Christ. That's my spiritual heritage. Thank goodness within my spiritual heritage is the cross. But also in my spiritual spiritual heritage, I look back. And so is Genesis chapter 3. So is Genesis chapter 1 and 2. The good, the bad, and the ugly. All of that is a part of the the redemptive history. And what our relationship with Jesus shows us is that this transformation links us with the family of God. We're sons and daughters adopted into his household. And we have all the benefits of what that means. We're co-heirs with Christ. And that's the good news of the gospel, right? Is that the curse of Genesis chapter 3 is undone. That salvation is brought to the world through the Son of God willingly offering his life as a sacrifice once and for all for sin. And it says in verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Because there's no condemnation, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the curse, from sin, from death. What does it mean, the law of the Spirit of life? It means... The way we operate. Paul says this sort of thing in other places, but specifically in Romans 3, 27, he talks about the law of faith. In Romans 6, 2, the law of Christ. We have been given freedom to operate in the mandates that God has given us. And we get to do that in Christ Jesus, delivered from the power of sin from the power of the curse, delivered from the penalty of sin, from death. 
And all of that gives way for us to live a life that brings glory and honor to God. We can live in obedience to God. Now, this weekend we've talked about the reality of men and women living for the glory and honor of God. We've talked about today in the workshop about some practical ways in which that happens. Told you that tomorrow in the devotion you'll see some more ways that you do that. But the biggest thing in all of this that I want to encourage you with as we kind of end this thing tonight and you go back to school or whatever it is you do during the week, I just want to encourage you to live in obedience to the law of the spirit of life. I want you to live, operate in the Holy Spirit. When we have faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. The reason that we have spiritual life is because the Spirit is within us. God himself leading us, guiding us. In Christ, the moment of salvation, we're made new. And we're made new by the work of the Spirit. We trust in him. And that's the reason that sin is no longer master over us. That's why the curse has no power over us. We're transformed. We're made new. We're indwelt by the spirit of God, the spirit of life. We're even set free. I told you a second ago, set free. There's no condemnation. Set free from the penalty of sin. We have that because of the power and the work and the ministry of the spirit in our life. And the application of the work of Jesus through faith. We operate differently. No longer under the law of sin and death. The gospel transforms us, makes us new. We live differently under the law of the spirit of life. We pursue the glory and honor of God. We do that with our relationships. We do that with our sexuality. We do that with how God made us. But we're not perfect. That's not even God's expectation. God knows us. I tell the church all the time, we are called to live imperfectly faithful. We just live in light of what God has said in his word. When we mess up, we have an advocate before the Father. We go to him and say, God, I messed this thing up, man. And then we get up and we move forward. We move on for the glory and honor of God. And Paul says in verse 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus paid the debt we owe. Every person who would turn from sin and turn to him. And because of that, we are made alive to the law of the spirit of life. In Genesis 3, what we saw is that before we understand fully the gospel, that the law... The law, all it does is it stokes the flame in us to, to sin. Now, not because the law is bad, but because the law doesn't save us. Right? That's where Israel gets messed up in all this. Right? They think, if I can just, if I can just do enough of the right stuff, if I can just keep the Ten Commandments with everything that we've added to it, you know, if we can just do that, then we're going to be all right. The problem is, is that God gave them the law not to save them. God gave them the law so that they would realize in light of Genesis chapter 3, just how broken they actually were, just how sinful they actually were. The law is weakened by the flesh. What does that mean? The sinful corruption that is within all of us keeps us from faithfully keeping the law of God. And so naturally what the law does in us is expose us for who we are. 
sinners in need of some sort of change. And I told you, the law was and is God's standard. And it's a standard that we can never meet because of sin. And so God did. God did. He made a way. And it's not through throwing the law out. God didn't start over. He didn't say, well, well, they can't keep this. Let me, let me start over and give them something new. No, how did he do it? He fulfilled the law on himself. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. The law condemned us. God saved. God removed that condemnation by the work of his son. What the law couldn't do, save us from sin, God did. And he did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Jesus was not some spirit, wasn't some ghost floating around at night. When Jesus came, he was fully incarnate. What does that mean? He was fully God and fully man. And he was in the likeness of sinful man. What does that mean? He had flesh. That means if you walked up to Jesus and you pinched him on the arm, he would say, ow, right? It means that he had a belly button, right? We, so don't ask about that later. He had a body. But notice what Paul says very carefully that he was in the likeness of sinful flesh, meaning that he was fully human, but he lacked one thing, sin. Jesus was tempted in all the same ways that we are, but he's without sin. That's Hebrews 4.15. The Savior had to be. He had to be this way. He had to be fully man. He had to be fully man to die in our place, right? He had to be that second Adam, the one who got it right, he had to be that, but he also, he had to be God because he had to be the one to fulfill the law. He was the only one that could fulfill the law. And he did. He came, he lived a perfect life in submission to the law of God, to God himself. And he died on our behalf. And he was resurrected on the third day. He condemned sin in the flesh Jesus is the one victorious over sin and death in a way that we could never be and understand what I'm telling you. The application of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is applied to your life by faith. The work is done. It's up to us to believe. Are you going to believe in the promises that God has made, in who Jesus says that he is. And when you do, when you have that faith, you are delivered from sin's penalty. Absolutely, completely. We're set free to the law of the spirit of life. We are finally able to live in God's righteous standard. Again, not perfectly. Again, that's not God's expectation because of our flesh, but we live imperfectly faithful. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And so the desire of our heart is I don't want to be who I was. I don't want to be in love with my sin anymore. I don't want to be the center of my own universe. I want to live my life for the glory and honor of God, whatever that looks like. And you're going to have to figure out in your life how God has called you to rule and subdue the earth. You're going to have to figure out how God is calling you and equipping you to live this life. And you're going to have to work through that. And it may be that some of you teach. It may be that some of you go into banking or real estate or whatever. And you know what you do? In those situations, you live for the glory and honor of God. You conduct yourself as a child of God and a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ on this side of eternity. And you're living in the mandate that God has given you. 
be fruitful and multiply. You do that through family. But even in the New Testament, what we see is that even that mandate is extended because it, it's not just about family, but we, we are to be the ones who are the vessels for gospel proclamation in the world. We're the ones telling people about what God has done on their behalf. That God can transform them. That God can change them. We can live our lives. We can have good relationships. We can live on purpose. We can live in a way that's very good. Why? Because at the cross, at the cross, Jesus bore the wrath of God for us. And by doing so, he disarmed sin and Satan in our lives. We're free. In Christ Jesus, the beauty of the gospel is we are free. We're free to live in the abundant life that Christ talks about. We're free to live in a way that's consistent with his word. And I hope you understand the, the magnitude of that. What I'm saying is that without the sacrifice of Jesus, there is no hope. There's no hope. Without the sacrifice of Jesus, there's just sin. There's just separation from God. Without the sacrifice of Jesus, there's just Genesis chapter 3. There's a lot of unknown. There's a fast track to hell, wrapped up in chaos and confusion. And I'm not really a hellfire and brimstone type of guy, but, but I'm just saying that you remove Christ from the picture, the perfect lamb of God, sacrificing himself for us for sin. You remove him from the picture and there's no hope. And in your life, if you don't have Christ, you will not have hope. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Without Christ, you will be without hope. Did it have to be this way? Did it have to happen like this? Well, yes, but but why? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk, walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In order for mankind to have a desire and an ability to live righteously in this world, something had to change. Something had to change, and it did when God sent his son to redeem us, to be the perfect sacrifice that condemns sin and removes sin, to be the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. In Christ, everything changes. Everything changes. We're cleansed from sin, indwelled by the Spirit, given a new nature, a new nature that longs for holiness, that longs to honor God. We want to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're free from the bondage of sin. That's, sin is no longer master over us. We're free to live for God. Like I said earlier, when gospel transformed people live gospel transformed, the law is fulfilled in us. Meaning that we live in a way that honors God. And there's so many ways that it, this happens. And again, if we had three months to work through this, we would go through uh, Romans 12. We would go through probably First and Second Timothy and all those things to see how this works out within the context of the church. But the problem is we just don't have that much time. And so we're looking at this kind of a big picture, but, but we do all of this. We're talking about all of this because we believe this is true. I, there, there is nothing in this world that I believe more than the truth of the scripture it's because God never fails. There's never, I've been to Israel. I'm going back to Israel. You know that there's never been a discovery in archaeology that that contradicted the truth of scripture. People went searching for it, but every time, you know what they found? Things that showed the scripture to be true. 
Uriah the Hittite. There was a time where they, had, they didn't believe that was true, and then they found something. Why? Because it's, this is true. And if we ourselves, as Christians in this world, if, we, if we're out there walking, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, then we're living in capital T truth. Because there's no other way for us to live. If you're just going to go do what you want, then, then do it. But don't do it under the banner that you're a Christian. There's a whole lot of losers occupying pulpits in this country who are telling people, you just, Jesus is, is a pretty necklace or a pair of earrings, right? He's a cosmic vending machine. When something goes wrong in your life, you just go up and tell him what you want, tell him what you need, and God will do it. But that's not what God has called us to. He's called us to genuine saving faith that drives us to live different in the world. We don't get to continue loving sin. We have to walk in a lifestyle. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor. It doesn't matter how long you've been on your faith journey. True believers in Jesus walk imperfectly faithful according to the Spirit. You're led by the Spirit. You live different. And when we understand this, when we live this in the church, things change. Why? Because God has set forth all of this intentionally, clearly, and on purpose. It's the economy of God. It's just the way things are. And when we don't like something, we don't just come in and change it. Well, I don't like the way God said that. Let me, let me find another way to say it. No. We live in light of what God has said. Why? Because our chief end is to glorify God, to honor God in all lives. And the way that we do that, it looks different in everybody's situation. But it always manifests itself in loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. Always. I want to read something to you another way that God tells us the truth of this, specifically within the context of the church. And I was going to just speak about this text in Ephesians tonight, but, but the Lord took me somewhere else. But I do want to mention this because I do think it's important. Because you're going to go out and live in the world, but you're going to live for the glory and honor of God, but you, you also need to live within the context of the church for the glory and honor of God. And God tells you how to do it. He says in Ephesians 4, all of this to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body. You know how you honor God in the church? You build up the body. Don't complain, right? As a pastor, I can tell you, the worst church members are the ones who just complain. If there's something that needs to be done, do it. If there's something that needs to be fixed, fix it. Because this may be shocking to young people, but, but we're actually all in this thing together. You know what the difference between me and you is? That God called me, God gifted me to do pastoral ministry. Now there may, there may be somebody in this room and, and God may call you that and gift you that way later in your life. But that's really the only difference between me and you is that we're gifted different. We're, we're called to do different things. But we do it all within the context of the church for the building up, the edification of the church. And it says in verse 13 of Ephesians 4, until we all obtain, attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That remind you of anything? Genesis chapter 3, the work of the enemy. We come to a point in spiritual maturity where we're not falling for that junk because we're built up in the truth. Rather, speaking the truth in love, right? We, as the body of Christ, we manifest the glory and honor of God by loving each other. That means don't be a jerk. I mean, it's okay to mess with each other and pick on each other, but in general, if somebody in this youth group 
is grieving, you grieve with them. If somebody's rejoicing, you rejoice with them. You speak the truth to them in love. When somebody, when one of your friends is doing something stupid, tell them. Don't just, don't just sit back and... <laughs> it is, it, that was almost perfect. <laughs> don't just sit back and tell them you're going to pray for them. Step in. Love them. Intentionally, on purpose. Why? Because God has called you to. And it says we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, each when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Look, not everyone is a pastor teacher. Not everyone's a deacon. Not everyone's a Sunday school teacher. Some people are given the gift of hospitality, gift of giving, mercy. And God says, I have given you that gift on purpose. I created you to be you. And I just want you to live as I have created you for my glory and honor in this world. And when we do that, you know what we have? A healthy body. The church is functioning. The church is relying and resting in the truth of God. And you know what? By default, what happens, shockingly, I know, but by default, what's born out of that is a people who are living for the glory and honor of God. And we're not worrying about fulfilling mandates because the way in which we live is fulfillment of the mandates. We're not checking off. Well, I went to church this week. I read my Bible this week. We just do those things. Because it's the desire of our heart to know and love our God and to love our neighbor as ourself. I told you at the end of the session this morning, something had to change and this is it. And it's only possible through gospel transformation. And that's where I want to end tonight. I told Johnny I was going to do this. Look, this is the way I do it at, at the church that I pastor. So this is the way I'm going to do it here. Uh, there, there's no such thing as asking Jesus into your heart, right? You believe and you confess. And so we have gone through the gospel tonight, but I'm going to give you the condensed version all together here at the end. And it's this, you sin, you're guilty before a holy and just God. And there's nothing that you can do about it. You're never going to be able to undo the sinfulness in your own life. God knew that. And out of the greatness of his love, he sends his son, Jesus, who becomes a man, who lived a perfect life, who fulfilled the law of God, and who willingly offered his life as a sacrifice for our sin. Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. He died, and on the third day, he rose again. And it shows us that the wrath of God is satisfied and that the sacrifice of Christ is enough. It's enough. And he tells us, as people in this world, believe, have faith. And a part of that faith is repentance. Now, what does that mean? It means confessing your sin. God, I've sinned against you and you alone. You're the holy and righteous God. And God, I need the saving work of Jesus applied to my life. And then you go and live in light of that transformation. There's not a magical thing here. There's not some special prayer that you have to pray. There's, there's not right words and wrong words. There is you, where you are, saying to God, God, this is who I am. This is who I know you are. And I need the work of Jesus applied to my life so I can live for your glory and honor in this world. And you know what? You go and live as a biblical man or woman in this world for the glory and honor of God. Some of the old people in my church don't appreciate this, but I say it anyway. It's stupid simple. It's not complicated. 
right? There's, there's not this really long process of things that need to happen. Tonight, if you're a man or woman in this room without hope, if, if all the stuff we've been talking about doesn't matter to you because your desire is not to know a holy God, your desire is not to run after God, but tonight you want change in your life, you need to talk to one of your pastors here and say, listen, I know that I don't have hope, but I, I, I know what I need to have hope. I, I want to talk with you about that. And they'll, they'll be, I promise you, they'll be happy to talk about that. But we're never going to be able to do this unless we submit our lives to the Lord Jesus. You're not going to be able to do it. All the stuff you've talked about, all the stuff you've read about, you've learned about, you're not going to be able to do any of it unless you've submitted your heart genuinely to the Lord Jesus and been radically transformed by the gospel. And I wanted to end there tonight because I think it's the most appropriate place. I think it's the most appropriate place. We need a change. And God made a way. He did it through his son. We're going to pray tonight and then I think we're going to do our Q&A after the songs, right? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the truth of your word. We're thankful that you're a God who is precise in what you say, a God who's clear in what he says, a God who has set the expectation before us, the expectation of your word, gospel transformation through the application of the work of Jesus in our lives by faith. And I pray for the people in this room, kids and young adults and adults alike, that we would take hold of the truth of your word. And I don't care how we lived before we walked into this place. I pray, God, that as we go, that we would live gospel transformed, that we would pursue your glory and honor in everything that we do that our lives would be defined by excellence, not because of what we're able to accomplish, but because of what you've accomplished through us by faith. God, tonight we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise, and we thank you that you have created us on purpose. And that even when things looked like they were pretty hopeless, you made a way. Jesus, we trust you. We love you tonight. We pray these things in your name. Amen.